everybody, and welcome to the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. We're come rain, shine, or anything in between. We're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. I'm Ace Edwards, right alongside Connor Balthazar, and welcome to this week's weekly recap. Again, just going over the twin Catskitball teams, starting off with the women's team. But I will make a really quick announcement. Next week will be the release of our long-awaited Batcats preview. And we must say that we are quite excited for the Batcats to start up. They're getting a lot of preseason hype, deservedly so. I believe D1 Baseball called us the team with the most weird arm angle guys in the country, which I'll take that compliment, especially given how weird arm angles interacted with us last year. (laughs) But just look forward to that episode. But until then, I'm going to start off with the women's basketball team. First game that they had was the Sunflower Showdown up against the University of Kansas in Manhattan. And this was the first game, I believe, without Ioka Lee, who is going to be out for, I believe, four weeks for the foreseeable future, which is a massive loss. But I think these two games proved that the team doesn't just fall apart without her. The Cats ended up winning 69 to 58. Sorry. But yeah, I, this was the first game without Lee, so I just kind of want to know how you felt generally about it, because you were there. Yeah. Yeah, th- this was a fun game. K-State really controlled a lot of this game. There were a few times where it got closer, uh, especially in the second half, uh, but um, every time the KU made a run, K-State would just re-extend the lead, and they, they played really well. Um, they, it definitely helps, uh, that last year we got a ton of experience, uh, playing without Aoka Lee. Uh, so this wasn't the first time that we've done it, uh, even though it was the first time this year. Uh, but it was, a a, a gritty win against a quality team. Uh, and we had players step up where they were necessary and the crowd was great. Uh, it ended up being, uh, about 9,600. And it was a uh, really uh, uh, involved crowd as well. And uh, uh, I I was happy about that. The student section, general admission, was pretty much completely packed by the time I got there. Uh, Traffic uh, was kind of backed up on Kimball as well, uh, which uh, was a little frustrating, but it's good. (laughs) You you take it for what what it means. Yeah, but it's still good that it because uh, it, it means that so many people were, were coming to watch. Um, but it was a, a really fun time, uh, really uh, um, enjoyable. Of course, uh, we're banking on uh, Aoka Lee not spending a ton of time out, but uh, this game and the one following, I think they both showed pretty clearly that this team can uh, win without Aoka Lee. So this, this was a pretty quality win. I was pretty happy with it. Yeah, because although KU is, I believe, 9-9 nine and nine after losing this game, they do have some quality wins. They did end up beating a really quality Baylor team, which we'll talk about in a minute. But, you know, do you want starters or do you want bench players? Uh, you can take the starters. All right. So, of course, the leading scorer in this game was Serena Sundell, who played 39 minutes, not 6 of 9 from the field, 2 of 3 from 3, one of two under free throws with six rebounds, seven assists, three turnovers, three blocks, three steals, 15 total points. This was one of those games where I think you and I talked about, maybe just personally, 
But Serena Sundell needs to realize that she is capable of taking over a game because when she and the games that she does that, it is beautiful to watch her just be better than everyone else. Yeah, uh, and she kind of did at times in this game, uh, and she still played really great. I mean, no fouls in 39 minutes is really difficult to do, uh, but she, um, I think, is kind of understanding her role now because last year there was more deference to Gabby Gregory uh, but Gabby um, didn't have the greatest day uh, and also was injured um, at one point in the game so a lot of the offense fell to Serena yeah which the second leading scorer is a name you don't often hear as the second leading scorer at least from the starters and that is Briley Glenn 36 minutes four of 11 from the field two of six from three perfect on her three free throw attempts Four rebounds, one foul, one assist, two steals, 13 total points. Jalen Glenn, 37 minutes, three of four from the field, one of two from three. Perfect on her two free throw attempts. Six defensive rebounds, three fouls, two assists, four turnovers, nine points. Gabby Gregory, 18 minutes, 0 of eight from the field, 0 of five from three, four of four from the free throw line. And again, she did get hurt, so take that for up and down as much as it would be. One rebound. Uh, three fouls, one assist, four points. And then rounding out the starting five is Gisela Sanchez. 17 minutes, two of nine from the field, 0 of three from three, four rebounds, three fouls, three assists, two turnovers, and four total points. So you take that starting production, especially, you know, someone had to step up in the absence of Ioka Lee. This time it was Serena Sendell and Briley Glenn from the starters, but there are two names that were really, really exciting coming off of the bench. One we're familiar with for this year, and the other we haven't seen a lot of this year, but we saw a lot of last year. Yeah, so uh, leading off with Zayana Walker, uh, she played 28 minutes and was 4 of 8 from the field, 2 of 3 from 3, and made 5 out of her 6 free throws, and she finished with 15 points off the bench. So very high production. Uh, for Walker off the bench, which that's what we've been asking for all year is to be an offensive spark plug, uh, and that's what she's been doing. She had four rebounds, two fouls, and a turnover, uh, but really otherwise played quite well. And, of course, Eliza Moppin, uh, she played 18 minutes and had her best game on the year, uh, went three of three from the field, two of four at the free throw line, finished with eight points. And she added five rebounds, three fouls, a turnover, and two steals. Uh, that's a lot of what you get with Eliza Moppin is she just rises above people to get buckets at the rim, but she is also really foul prone. So three fouls in 18 minutes isn't great, uh, but uh, she still was really, really good. Um, but then there were two other players that played. Taryn Sides uh, played four minutes, one of two at the free throw line, two fouls, and then Amani Lester played three minutes uh, and somehow took three shots in those three minutes uh, then had a foul and a steal. Uh, she clearly has a lot of skill, but uh, or a lot of athleticism, but just is still um, got a long way to go in terms of uh, refining her game. It's like Eliza last year. Yeah, so I uh, she's not in the same athletic universe yeah. as Eliza, but, but what is? Yeah, so but she's um, I'm still coming along fine, but Eliza really um, had a, a nice game uh, in this one as well as Diana Walker. Yeah. So this was the first game without Ioka Lee, but the next game arguably was more important. I think we called this a prove-it game, because this was when K-State entered number four in the country going into this game. 
going up against a ranked 13th at the time Baylor squad in Waco without Ioka Lee. So this was a massive prove-it game for the Midi Cats. And, you know, it didn't start off great at all, actually. But what matters is that K-State rallied at the end, ended up winning 58-55 to in Waco in a pretty solid environment in a come-from-behind fashion in a gritty, gritty game. And I think the the best teams, you know, great teams will win, and they'll win games that you don't think they should. But I think the best teams find ways to escape games that they shouldn't really win. I think this game also proved that this team is a whole lot more than just Ioka Lee. And it, I think it took a minute for the team in this game to figure that out. Yeah, because uh, we started off really uh, struggling, especially on the defensive side of the ball. We gave up uh, 39 uh, in the first half, which is very unlike us. And it was pretty much all but guaranteed that we were going to end our streak of holding opponents under 60. But then we came out with a just defensive masterclass in the second half and held Baylor to 16 points in the entire second half. And they only finished with 55 which is pretty incredible uh, to lock in that way defensively after the first half that we had where we were just really getting diced up. And it's a credit to the adjustments from the staff as well uh, where they were just a lot faster than our guards and we're, we're just penetrating very easily. But we um, switched to a zone and decided to use our long arms to our advantage uh, because that's where we have the advantage over Baylor. They have the speed, but we have the length. And so we took that and made it into an advantage for us because uh, we've been running a lot more man this year. But switching to a zone, uh, that was very timely in the second half, and it clearly threw Baylor off their game. Uh, but getting into the starters, Serena Sundell, uh, she went 5 of 9 from the field, 1 of 4 from 3, and 5 of 8 at the free throw line. Uh, finished with 16. Uh, had 5 rebounds, 2 fouls, 3 assists. Did have 8 turnovers, which is pretty bad. Uh, one block, and then four steals. So she ended up having a really good game, uh, sands the turnovers. She also turned her ankle, which activated yeah. her X-Factor. Yeah, she did turn her ankle late in the first half. So uh, um, once again, at this point, when I see her like get an injury and come off the floor, I just kind of expect that she's coming back at some point. But uh, she played fairly well, uh, really, really well, and had some big buckets for us down the stretch. Uh, Gabby Gregory, she played 31 minutes, 6 of 11 from the field, 3 of 6 from 3. Um, did go 1 of 3 at the free throw line, which needs to improve, which kind of across the board, free throw shooting has been worse for us this year than it was last year. But she also finished with 16 points. Uh, then she had 4 rebounds, 2 fouls, 4 assists, 3 turnovers, and a steal of her own. Uh, she had some huge buckets uh, late in the game. Where we went to kind of using her like we did last year, uh, where we kind of threw her in the post at times. Uh, but she, she did a really good job uh, kind of readjusting there and playing some uh, really tough basketball. Uh, then Jalen Glenn, she played all 40 minutes, went 2 of 8 from the field, 1 of 4 from 3, uh, finished with 5 points, and had 6 rebounds, 1 foul, 2 assists, a block at the very end of the game, and 2 steals. That block was massive because uh, that was a, a block on Baylor's final a three-point attempt of the game to try and tie it and send it to overtime, and she didn't even let it go anywhere. Uh, then Bradley Glenn, she played 27 minutes, one of five from the field, of two from three. 
and one of two at the free throw line. So she just had three points, but she had a rebound, an assist, two turnovers, and four steals as well. The Glenn Twins played, um, as usual, fantastic defense uh, that, uh, um, along with the rest of the lineup, but they in particular uh, always uh, just so valuable defensively. And then rounding out the starting lineup was Gisela Sanchez, and it was clear that she was just kind of outmatched uh, by this Baylor squad. She just isn't really... She doesn't match up with them very well because this Baylor team is built on speed and quickness, and that just isn't Gisela's game. She only played five minutes and had three fouls, so we barely saw her in this game just because it just was a matchup nightmare for her. Yeah. And before we get into the bench players, I, I think two things are worth mentioning. One is related to Gisela Sanchez. They were really quick on the whistle, especially during the first half. The second is the first half was the most unacceptable broadcast I think we have seen in our oh, time yeah, doing yeah. the show. Mm-hmm. There's there's no justifying what happened at all. No. I mean, it was pretty horrible. Um, luckily, in the second half, it was fine, but I imagine a lot of people that would have been watching stopped watching uh, because of that. They're, they're, they were lucky I had homework to procrastinate, or else <laughs> I probably would have stopped watching too. So, um, I don't know. It was pretty embarrassing. Uh especially for such a high-profile game. I mean, this was a top-15 matchup, and it was, it was a tight game uh, for most of the way, too, and they uh, just didn't really seem to treat it that way, which was a little disappointing. Yeah. But what who wasn't disappointing is Eliza Maupin, who you and I have probably been one of the big, or some of the highest people on Eliza Maupin since she committed to K-State, but she just exploded this game. 29 minutes, 6 of 6 from the field, 1 of 1 from 3, 3 of 4 from the free throw line, 9 rebounds, 4 of them being offensive, 2 fouls, 1 turnover, 1 block, 1 steal, 16 total points. Wow. (laughs) This was the the Eliza Maupin coming out party. And honestly, I think there were times that points were left on the floor because we're still, like, our guards aren't used to seeing... Eliza Moppin just outrun everyone. <laughs> yeah, I think in the perfect world, this game for Eliza Moppin is like Dean Wade's game against Iowa State when he was a junior, I think, where he just out of nowhere dropped like 35 on Iowa State and figured out, oh, wait, I'm more athletic than everyone. I guess I can just do this whenever I want. <laughs> I hope this is Eliza Moppin's game. Uh, and, uh, of course, she... You can tell that the confidence is really uh, brimming for her right now as well because she stepped out and attempted the first three of her career, which uh, when she committed, we uh, um, watched her high high school huddle, and she was taking plenty of threes in her high school tape. It's just not something she's really done at the college level. And she hits the very first one that she ever attempts and just outmatched everybody on Baylor. And uh, like we've said so much she is whenever she's on the floor she's the most athletic player on the floor and that was obviously true in this in this game against Baylor she was the catalyst for us coming back and winning this one and I I think that she's really proven herself as probably until Aoka Lee gets back probably being in the starting lineup I understand that they want to keep her as a spark plug off the bench though depending on matchups but I I was Thoroughly impressed with Eliza Maupin. Yeah. 
The rest of the bench was so-so. Zy Walker played 21 minutes, 1 of 7 from the field, 0 of 3 from 3, with 3 rebounds, 2 fouls, 2 assists, 3 turnovers, and 1 steal for 2 total points. None of the other bench players scored. Terrence Sides played 5 minutes, attempted 1-3, had 1 foul, 1 assist to 2 turnovers. Monty Lester played 3 minutes, 1 foul, uh, 1 block, and then Heavenly Greer played a single minute and caught a foul. Heavenly Greer and Amani Lester are just casualties of Eliza Maupin deciding that she was just going to go off. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, I think that's especially true for uh, Heavenly Greer because Lester still has youth on her side and has been contributing in other ways. And uh, Greer, I think, still has a long way to go uh, in terms of cleaning up uh, her uh, defense because... I think she's a really great instinctual defender, but she just fouls a lot. And that just sometimes is a problem for people that are as good of athletes as Heavenly Greer is. But, no, I mean, the, the bench outside of Maupin wasn't fantastic. Zina Walker uh, gave us 21 good, like, okay minutes, but uh, she did have some bad misses. She missed, like, a wide-open layup and transition at one point, and that was pretty bad. She made up for it a little later. She made a tough layup in transition, but uh, still not her best game, especially coming off of her KU performance. Um, but I'm not really worried about Zayana Walker. We've seen enough consistency from her that this was just an off night. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Sides, Lester, and Greer, they uh, didn't have major contributions. But, of course, the hallmark uh, is Eliza Maupin. She's the, the story to take away from this game, I think. I don't think it's close either. Yeah. Yeah, and this is, again, beating a top 15 in the country team away from home without your best player. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it's pretty unbelievable. Uh, it's got us all the way up to number two in the coaches' poll at this point, uh, and they, they've earned that ranking. Uh, depending the outcome of the South Carolina LSU game, I could have an argument for number one uh, once we get to next week, but you know, remains to be seen for now. I don't want to put the cart before the horse on that. But yeah, plus, we still got to beat the next few teams. Yep. Yeah. Which, speaking of, the next game for the K State women is in Manhattan, Kansas, going up against BYU. Connor and I will be in attendance in this game. It'll be my first game for uh, attended this year for the women's team. No, I will not be wearing the goat pajamas. $70 was not worth it for a bit. But <laughs> then after that, next Wednesday is playing at Oklahoma. And we mentioned earlier in the season that the Oklahoma-Texas stretch was very important. Fun fact, the Oklahoma-Texas stretch part two is still very important. Because both of those are away games. And if you win both of those games... There's not much standing in the way of a regular season Big 12 title if you win those two games. If you lose one of those games, you still control your own destiny and you still have the inside track. If you lose both, that's when you start sweating it a little bit. The upside is that I think K-State has a very good chance of winning at least one of those games just because of what they showed up against Baylor. I think Baylor genuinely might have been the best team left on the schedule, especially given Texas's injury problems. Are they the best matchup? No, I think Texas is a worse matchup. 
But I think Baylor is the better and more talented team. Yeah, I can see what you're saying there. I I still don't love the matchup with Texas, um, but that's yeah, a massive stretch. The, the games after the Oklahoma and Texas game that I think we need to uh, pay extra attention to as fans uh, when we're tracking the Big 12 title race is our two matchups with Iowa State uh, because they are, I believe, just a one-loss team right now in Big 12 play. Uh, they're very young, but they're very talented. And we really, I'd like to sweep Iowa State. I think we're, I think we're a better squad uh, than they are, uh, but we just need to really avoid getting swept by Iowa State, uh, if nothing else. Because uh, with a, a team like Iowa State, I imagine they'll trip up at some point, but let's just avoid doing that ourselves. Let's just win out in, in my book. But the, the matchups against Iowa State will be difficult. And, of course, the road matchups against OU and Texas um, those will those will be difficult as well. At KU is not going to be easy either. I imagine Aoka Lee's probably black, probably back by then. She's uh, projected to be back by Iowa State the first game. Yeah, so I uh, conservative estimates even would have her back then probably by the KU game. Uh, so um, hopefully she's back on schedule uh, for that Valentine's Day matchup at Iowa State. But it'll be. Um, interesting to track and uh, keep our eyes on because we're at the point in the season where right now we really do kind of control our own destiny in terms of the Big 12 regular season crown. Uh, so because we've uh, gotten ahead of Texas, Texas just lost as well to Oklahoma uh, the night before we recorded this. So uh, we've got a little bit of a cushion there. Just need to kind of wait and see what happens with Iowa State. Uh, remains to be seen, though. Yeah. So that's the women's team, but before we move on to the men's team, here's a quick word from today's sponsor. And welcome back to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Now we're going to be talking about the men's Catskitball team in the first matchup of two. I'm not sure how much longer or how long we'll spend on the second one for our own sanity, but the first of the two was up against Oklahoma State in Bramlage Coliseum, a not good <laughs> Oklahoma State team, I think is putting it generously, but K-State ended up barely beating them, 70-66, to requiring some late-game heroics, and first off, probably shouldn't have gotten to that point. Not with this team and how... Not good they are. But hey, you take dubs as they come to you, but going down in half, down four, after not playing particularly well in the first half, and then kind of trudging through most of the second half. It's just, sometimes this team doesn't appear like it has much life to it. And I think that's the worst part about it. But just going into the starters... Arthur Kaluma played 38 minutes, 7-12 from the field, 3-5 of five from 3, 6-9 on his free throw attempts, 7 rebounds, 2 fouls, 4 assists, 5 turnovers, 2 blocks, 3 steals, 23 points, so he stuffed the sat sheet. Cam Carter, 37 minutes, 5-9 of nine from the field, 3-7 of seven from 3, 
2 of 2 from the free throw line, 4 rebounds, 3 fouls, 2 assists, 4 turnovers, 15 total points. Will McNair, 25 minutes, 5 of 6 from the field, 5 rebounds, 3 fouls, 2 assists, 1 turnover, 1 block, 10 total points. Tyler Perry, 30 minutes, 2 of 6 from the field, 1 of 4 from 3, 4 of 5 from the free throw line. 2 fouls, 5 assists, 2 turnovers, 2 steals, 9 total points. And then David Gasson, 24 minutes, 2 of 3 from the field, 1 of 1 from 3, as we all know him as the uh, the deep sharpshooter of the team, David Gasson. Uh, 5 rebounds, 4 fouls, 2 assists, 1 turnover, 2 steals, 5 total points. So again, you have the, the usual suspects in both ways. You have the usual suspects of good, as in Arthur Kaluma and Cam Carter, and you have the usual suspect of horrendously disappointing, who I don't feel like needs to be even named at this point. Yeah, this is kind of a pretty standard game, other than Kaluma, I think, had a better game than normal. Uh, Cam Carter, uh, he was pretty solid, especially in the second half. Uh, Kaluma going off for 23, I mean, that's he pretty much willed this team to victory on his own. Uh, he was fantastic. He's been shooting so well uh, in Big 12 play, but... Yeah, this was a game that was definitely way closer than it needed to be. Uh, then in terms of bench production, uh, it was pretty mixed. Uh, Day-Day Ames uh, had 15 minutes, 2 of 5 from the field, 0 of 1 from 3, uh, finished with 4 points, and had a rebound, 2 assists, 2 turnovers, and a steal. RJ Jones, he went 1 of 4 from the field in 11 minutes, just 2 points. He had a mid-range jumper early in the game, uh, and then had 1 rebound. Drell Colbert... Also played 11 minutes, one of one uh, from the field with uh, so just those two points, one rebound, four fouls, two assists, a turnover, a block, and two steals. So at least he's doing a little bit of everything, but the fouls still need to come down. Uh, and then Dorian Finister played just seven minutes, a little lower than normal with the return of Day-Day Ames in this game. Uh, Dorian missed his two shots, had an assist and a turnover. And then Taj Manning played two minutes and didn't record any statistics. Uh, so we ended up shooting over 50% from the field and 36% from three in this game. But the first half was pretty awful, and uh, we needed to come back to beat a team that we should have blown out. There was no reason this game should have been as close as it was. This probably should have been at least like a 12-point win uh, for us. Especially uh, at home. Yeah, that's the part that bugs me. But this team certainly has a tendency to play to its competition, I think. Uh, or at least how it perceives its competition. And uh, we play up when we're facing a highly regarded squad, but when we have a game that on the surface isn't as interesting, it seems like this year there's no one that's really pushing the team to uh, really get out there and do more until you know you're halfway through and you're in danger of losing to a pretty bad team. So... It's pretty frustrating at times, just because uh, I know I know that this team is probably better uh, than that. But you know, a win is a win still. But you you'd prefer to have a more convincing win against a um, less quality opponent. Yeah, yeah, you do. All right. Well, here's the game that we probably don't want to spend much time on. It's the Iowa State game. K State ended up losing seventy-eight to sixty-seven. It was much closer than the score actually indicates. Um, I think the best way to describe this game 
is, if you can't tell by the the tone of voice, I'm still a little sore. Uh, granted, we, you know, this is only little less than 24 hours after the fact that we're recording this. Um, I tweeted about this, but Connor and I, after the game, genuinely sat on our couch, said maybe less than 20 or 25 words to one another for about 30 to 40 minutes, because anything that we would have said would have ended up being shouted. And not at each other, not because we were angry at each other. We've never been angry at each other before in our lives. But, jeez, <laughs> um, uh, man. I don't even know really where to start with this game. I mean, you could start from the top with the controversies. You could start from the top that we lost. You could start from the fact that our, our big players, other than Arthur and Cam, didn't do anything um you could talk about the foul trouble you could talk about the lack of fouls you could talk about jerome tang getting upset uh i've heard like 14 different reasons why he was upset the reason that's being reported right now by the more respected journalists in the k-state media sphere uh, seems to be that there was an Iowa State staffer that was monitoring our huddles and sending information back to the Iowa State staff. So they were pretty much just doing what Michigan did, from what I can tell. Uh, Michigan in football, that is. So uh, I understand being uh, pretty upset about it. Um, there's definitely some uh, interesting theories going around uh, on Twitter. That's what it is. I guess that speaks to the danger of talking about things that you don't know anything about. Uh, but it was a uh, probably one of the most impassioned uh, moments that we've ever seen from uh, Coach Tang. Because uh, you throw that controversy on top of what was a uniquely officiated game, uh, then I would, I, I'd be pretty upset too. And uh, it takes... Um, coached him quite a bit to get to that point anyways and you know you just keep building it up over the course of a game you know it gets pretty tough to hold it in uh, the tech um, I saw another angle of it and I was kind of surprised that they teed him up for it because it wasn't even the official that he was yelling at that gave him the technical foul I was a guy that was about, like 40 feet away yeah yeah something like that and it, there wasn't a whole lot from Tang that he hadn't been doing already, so I guess it, I guess they were just giving him that for just like a culmination of it, but it was it was pretty disappointing officiating performance. Uh, I, I've I've watched a lot of K State games at Allen Fieldhouse, and I think that this probably in terms of consistently being that bad, I think was probably the worst. I don't know if there was an individual call that I could say would be like the worst of the worst from Allen. Like there's nothing, there was nothing like the Zvi Mikhailuk, like four steps travel thing. <laughs> I don't know. The Dorian taking an elbow to the face was pretty bad. Nothing. There just wasn't anything that matched the situational importance and it's how bad. egregious, but that was horribly egregious still. And, uh, that the missed call with, uh, the guy tripping on David Gasson's like shoe, and Dave getting called for a block on that. Uh, that 
there were also some pretty bad calls that went our way as well. Like there was a time where I can't remember who it was that got um, free throws off of it, but they called a body foul on a layup, and the replay showed that like Iowa State's guy didn't even touch our guy, and I I was like it, it was horrendous officiating both ways, and uh, I I hope the Big Twelve is a little bit ashamed of it because it was a game that should have been really, really great between two teams that clearly really wanted it. And it was a lot closer than the final score indicated because there were multiple times that this was tied late in the second half. And it really only got out to that high of a lead just because of uh, free throws and the technical foul late. But uh, I feel like we were really robbed of a fantastic basketball experience because the refs took this game and it ended up lasting two and a half hours, which is way longer than a basketball game should be lasting in regulation. Because yeah. uh, they called like what, like almost fifty like fouls or something in this game. Uh, it was definitely over forty because K State had twenty six, twenty six, and twenty so forty six. Yeah, so. Pretty awful. I know at one point Casey had like nine fouls called against them on ten possessions, which, again, sometimes, you know, teams foul a lot, but that's just a little ridiculous, I think. Um, But that was one of the big concerns about going into Hilton is that Iowa State's really good at working the officials, and when they play away from Hilton, they don't get that same benefit. I imagine the return game uh, that's going to be played on March 9th uh, at Bramlage is going to be particularly energized. I think that's a generous way of putting it. Yeah. <laughs> but this was a game that despite the uh, creative officiating and uh, the technical foul and everything that was going on in it, K-State still, I think lost on its own merits. I think that we had many opportunities to really take this game and take a lead, which I think would have really changed the psychology of this game, but we never actually led in this game. We tied it quite a bit, uh, but we just kept bricking free throws. And Iowa State obviously took way more free throws than we did, but we didn't convert at the rate that we needed to. Like they took 39 free throws in this game. We took 23. But, I mean, Dave missed, like, three in a row at one point. Tyler missed one at one point. That's, like, one of his best qualities right now is that he's supposed to be nails at the free throw line. We had many opportunities to win this game in spite of the officiating, which would have made it all the more satisfying, I think. Because those are the best wins. When everything is going against you and you're on the road and you win anyways... We had the opportunity for kind of an all-time K-State victory. I think that says a lot about the staff and this team, uh, that we were in that position in the first place. It's very disappointing that we didn't win it regardless, but I didn't come away from this game, especially from the second half, uh, with a lesser opinion of this team. I didn't leave with a lesser opinion of the team. I... Connor, how many times have you witnessed me get so mad at a game that I've gone quiet? Because normally I get louder. Not many. Not many that I can think of. This was one of the few games where I went quiet. Like, 
borderline stone quiet. And anyone who has met me knows ex knows how rare that is. And am I frustrated with the team? Absolutely. Um, I, just straight out, some of the guys needed to have better games. I I'm really tired of being nice about Tyler Perry and his performance. Um, calling him and his performances here at K-State a disappointment is a massive understatement. Um, I'm, I'm, I can't even say that I'm tired of losing, and I think that's the worst part. I'm tired of this team being the Pittsburgh Steelers of Big 12 basketball, where they play up and down to their competition. And I also, I, I'm really angry at, like the Iowa State fan base, just in general, um, which you know they're they're dirty, classless, trashy people anyway. So, you know, I, I maybe I shouldn't have expected any less, but you know, I, I I'm a I'm a fan of chirping. I I'm a I'm a very big fan of of chirping. Connor can confirm this. Uh, in fact, talking smack is one of the four things on this earth that I genuinely think I'm extremely good at. Uh, <laughs> but it, it gets to the point where lines are crossed, and I think that's all I'm going to say. I think there are certain times where lines are crossed. Um, and moving on from that, the officiating was disgusting. Uh, when you have to separate a referee, for, when a player has to separate a referee from another player, I've never seen that happen before. Yeah, that that was pretty shocking when you told me about that. Because, uh, I mean, normally it's the other way around. You have to uh, separate a player from a referee, not separate a referee from a player. Uh, and there is a difference there, so that that was pretty shocking to hear about. Because uh, at one point somebody got, uh, someone had to separate a referee from Finister. Yeah, Jerry, uh, Jerry, Be Jerry Bohannon, Jerry <laughs> Pollard ended up getting in the face of Dorian Finister. Dorian Finister looks, I'm like, dude, what the hell are you doing? And Tyler Perry has to get between the two of them and kind of like shoo, but like, golly, shoo Pollard away. What? What? And then, of course, it's just bad optics that later, Dorian Finister catches an elbow to the face. Pollard should have the call, and conveniently, he's just not looking. Yeah, which I don't think those two things are related. Oh, I don't either, but it's, I, I, it's I, horrible optics. Yeah, I think Pollard, I, I think if anything else, it just lends itself to the fact that Maybe this isn't what he's cut out for anymore, because uh, that's there's no reason to be looking away uh, in a situation like that. A close game, and a game that's been extremely physical as well. Uh, it's gotten near chippiness at times. In, in a game that you've been quick on the whistle before. Yeah, that's the sort of game where you really shouldn't be looking away from the action in the middle of it. You need to be keeping your eyes on the court, uh, unless... I don't know what someone said to get his attention, or if, if anything, um, but it was a, a pretty embarrassing performance. Uh, I felt from the uh, uh, from the officials, 
because uh, there's not a whole lot of consistency, it felt like, for um, what could be considered a foul, what wasn't. Uh, the only time I remember there being much consistency was when we got some free throws off of a phantom foul and Iowa State went down to the other end and got the exact same call where we just did not touch them and they got free throws too. I can I can stomach that. That's just a makeup call, but I'd rather you just not make the stupid call in the first place and just leave both as no calls. But I don't know. I know officiating is a tough job, but it's uh, uh, when it's bad, it really sticks out. And it was a very disappointing performance uh, across the board. So hopefully it gets better. Um, but I'm very hopeful that we will not be seeing much Jerry Pollard the rest of this year. If I see him again, I, I'm I'm gonna go ballistic. Yeah, I uh, I, I was pretty thoroughly disappointed. Uh, left me uh, really aggravated with the result of the game. Um, but, you know, if you want to look at it with a glass half full, uh, I do think Iowa State is a good basketball team. And I do think that we showed a lot of grit in getting back into that game. And the cards just didn't quite fall our way uh, late in the game. And things just kind of spiraled out of control after a little while. But, I mean, we were really right there in a game where in the first half it didn't look like we belonged. I mean, we were getting destroyed in the first half. And the second half, we really figured it out offensively and looked a lot better. So, I I mean, we're, we're sitting at 4-2 and two in Big 12 play right now, which is a lot better than I thought we'd be sitting at. We have a win over number 9 Baylor and our two losses – have been a one-point loss to a good Texas Tech team and then an 11-point loss on the road at Iowa State, which was really a lot closer than an 11-point loss. So, you know, we should be in a better spot than we are right now, but it's uh, time to move forward, I guess, because there's... There's more basketball to be played. Yeah, but we've, it's not going to get any easier. No. Speaking of not getting any easier, playing at Houston Saturday <laughs> and then going to play up against Oklahoma, granted, in Manhattan, that's that's a really tough stretch. And, you know, I believe in this team's grit to, you know, have a few teeth knocked out, but still, you know, well, sometimes in a very literal sense, <laughs> to have a few teeth knocked out, but still end up fighting. Uh, I, I, anything can happen. I don't see us winning the Houston game. Yeah, that that would be pretty shocking. I'll take it, but oh, we take those. Every I, day. That is not my expectation going down to Houston, just because they are just such a tough, tough team defensively uh, that we're gonna need to have a pretty foolproof plan going into uh, to to that, but. I don't know. I'm I'm putting most of my emotional stakes on the women's game on Saturday. So, yeah, I I've been more emotionally invested in the women's game since honestly probably the beginning of the year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that's probably a fair statement, uh, especially for me. Uh, I think since uh, the first Iowa game, I think, but and that's not a diss to the men's team. That's just that this women's team is just so much fun to watch. 
which uh, will be at the women's game uh, this Saturday uh, against BYU. And uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm very excited because uh, they're, again, just so much fun to watch, and the crowds have been really great. So it should be really exciting. Um, try and get an opportunity to get out and watch them because they're absolutely worth the price of entry, which is not prohibitive. So no. <laughs> uh, make a day out of it and go watch some great basketball. Yeah. And uh, before we sign off, do the outro, I think it's worth noting that LSU is currently beating number one in the country, South Carolina, by three with six minutes left in the third quarter. So we're probably going to go watch that game <laughs> after this. But, Connor, do you have any, any final thoughts? Uh, no, I do not. All right. Well, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. If you want to follow or contact the show, you can follow us just about anywhere at Aggieville Cats. And if you want to email us, we're AggievilleAlleyCats at gmail.com. If you want to follow us on a more personal note, I'm at acedward 0 I am at Connor Balthazor, capital C, capital B. And if you want to support the show financially, please be sure to check out the official Aggieville Alley Cats merch store or use our supporters link, both of which are in our Twitter and podcast bios. But most importantly, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. Stay safe, Alley Cats.